0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers podcast. In this episode, Billy Humphrey speaks on the topic of the performance mentality and how it shapes us. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. I want to um, just mention this before I get into this. I've probably had half a dozen conversations with half a dozen of you guys, at least about Performance mentality over the last few weeks. I am not aiming at any one of you. I'm aiming at all of you <laughs> and myself. But don't think, oh, he's, he took that conversation and now he's trying to nail me with it. No, I don't do that. If I'm going to try to nail you with something, I'll just pull you to the side and go, "Hey." <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I don't send like like side messages to you while I'm preaching. It's just not never been my thing. So. Uh, <clears throat> All right, I want to talk about this dark side of a performance mentality. I want to talk about identifying and overcoming it. And it's interesting because I just I like to Google whatever it is I'm speaking on and just see what what the Googles say about it. And everything first page, the whole first page on 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 Google's was that a performance we want to we want to learn how to have a better performance mentality. We want to strengthen our performance mentality. We want to know how to perform. And so they didn't have any answers for us. And so here's the thing. From the time you're a kid to, the, to now, uh, we learn how to perform. We learn how to, you know, we learn the cause and the effect, right? Like if I perform, I get the ribbon. If I work hard... I get rewarded. If I work out hard, I get to make the team. If, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I perform, really, if I make all A's, I get the honor roll. Like, we start learning that kind of stuff when we're little. And, uh, you know, if I run the fastest, I win, I win the ribbon. All that stuff, okay? So there's this message that we get that um, reward comes from performance. Now, I just want to mention this because I don't want I don't want anyone walking out of here going, um, you know, performance. All performance is bad. No, all performance isn't bad. In fact, biblically, there's a ton of Bible verses, verses. Sound like I said verses, verses that tell us like if we work hard, it brings blessing. If we're diligent, uh, we get we get reward for that. Like. That's just legit. That's totally fine. Um, and if you look up being diligent or hard work, you look up the Bible on that, you'll find verse after verse after verse that encourages hard work. It encourages strong performance. It encourages diligence because if we're diligent, if we work hard, we will be exalted. Like, that's just what happens. And, and, and so, like, I mean, Proverbs 14, 23 says, all hard work brings profit if you want to make money in life, and that's a good thing is to actually make money and provide, then you, you got to work hard to do that. You can't show up like at whatever your job is and just go, hey, sorry, I really don't work hard. It's just not my thing. <laughs> you know, I'm into like, well, I'm into rest, actually. And so I'll be taking lots of breaks. And, um, you know, this whole coming at 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock, that's early for me. I do, I do 1030. And most days I need lunch by noon. So you got a good hour and a half window. I won't be working hard during it, but I have a one and a half, half hour window. And then after I take, I need about an hour and 45 minutes for lunch travel time. Let's call it two hours. I'll be back at two. And, uh, you know, I like to get out before traffic. So two to four. So I'll give you three and a half solid hours. I won't be working very hard during them, but I'm in. Nobody's hiring you if that's in your interview, Right. So we get it. Hard work is kind of essential. Being diligent is essential. Uh, another one, Proverbs 12, 24 says, diligent hands will rule. Um, if you want to ever lead anything, if you, if you want to be in leadership, you got to be diligent. you got to work hard. So I'm emphasizing that because hard work always brings a reward, and that's not, a, that's not demonic. That's not a bad thing. Here's where the thing shifts on us. Because we grow up at a young age learning this message, we work hard, we get rewarded. When it shifts is when the idea, this principle, this cause and effect of being rewarded by working and performing, when that thing begins to become our identity. And that's when all of a sudden we we start getting broken and you guys you know this generation like so everybody in the room is like under 25 so um you know from the from the time you were little like you had internet like just i know it sounds so weird but internet's like a new thing in my life you know like <laughs> I had to learn like what the internet was. For you guys, it's like air. And social media, I mean, it's a, you know, it's not even a, it's not even a 20-year, it's not even a 20-year phenomenon. So that that thing's been there for less, like far less than half my life, but for many of you guys, it's been there for most of your life. And what it is, is through the internet and social media, uh, we have automatically the, the society it has actually given us this cause and effect, perform and get rewarded thing right in our hand. And there's all sorts of studies on this. You guys should do some work on this sometime. And just look at the connection between anxiety, depression, and social media. They're they're starting now to do studies on this thing. And even like the red badge, you know, like when you get a notification and it's a red badge, like, the reason why it's red is because that color evokes the most emotional response. And so this is all, like, now coming out. And I'm, I've been ministering to young people for, like, um, almost 30 years. And my wife and I were having this conversation. When we go back 25 years ago compared to today, we almost had, um, like, no anxiety, depression challenges uh, in like, I had a youth group with hundreds and hundreds of young people in it. We didn't have those things. We had people with serious problems. We had people fighting you know, depression, suicide. But it was almost always as a result of abuse. It, it always had a real heavy um, trigger. And now there's, it, it's a widespread phenomenon that most people ex- are experiencing anxiety things. They're experiencing depressive things. It's like this tidal wave has hit us. And, and just sorting it out, like, logically, when you, when you recognize that, hey, it's, it's the phone, it's the internet, but it's even the social media deal, like, that has, it's actually affecting the way our brains function. Like, this is real stuff, this is data, this is, they've done, like, they're starting to do the research, and they're recognizing, like, your amygdala and the way that it's impacted by this cause and effect effect. Um, perform and be, you know, awarded relationship, all of a sudden, this identity of, if I perform, I'm going to be liked, it just, it begins to sort of just grab our minds. And so, you guys are living in a really interesting generation, a really interesting time, and this is what I realized there's this conflation of all these different things that are all sort of showing up together. So we've got tons of identity issues in this generation, right? Right. We, we have identity, we have gender identity, we've all this identity stuff, right, intent. We have a ton of broken homes, people coming out of divorce situations, we've got that. We've got the social media deal hitting our heads. So that's all hitting at the same time. And what I realize is it's all, it's all a negative, and I'm not saying all social media is negative, Some here to say that, but when all those things are hitting someone, it impacts you negatively as it relates to who you think you are and how you feel about yourself and what you'll do to be approved of. And uh, I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago when, when um, like, videos started going viral, and this is like pre-TikTok, and people were doing just the stupidest stuff to go viral. They still do that, but that, I mean, I remember when it was new, and it was like, oh my God, what the heck is that, They're, what are they eating? They're like chugging the bottle of water that I had this morning, like for fun, like <laughs> just to go viral. And it's like, man, what's going, what is going on? And it's this thing they want to be affirmed based on a performance. And now with the internet, dude, you can perform, you can do anything, you can do your TikTok dance, you can just be a, you can just be a armchair you know, commentator on movies, on sports, on fashion, you can just like, oh my gosh, and look, this is what it looks like when you open it, and see, oh my goodness, it's the colors, and everything is so amazing, and when you put it on your face, and now you're an influencer, and you're, you're, you're just you, and literally, we're just so into that thing, The, the whole thing is just wild, it's brand new in your generation, and, uh, and so this cause effect perform reward, it hits you guys in your identity, and um, and so when when the reward, the affirmation, the accolades for performing, when it moves from just the simple cause and effect, if I work hard, then I'll excel. When it moves from that to it's my identity. Uh, now we have a problem. And we don't have a problem like, oh, you're so bad. We have a problem because you end up living your entire life with how do I get more people to like me? How do I work so people will approve of me? And what can I do, you know, what can I do to be loved? Okay, so um, I, I put this five signs that you're living with a performance mentality, okay? And so I just, I want to read these to you. And if this, if this hits close to home, um, good, because I, I want to help you. That's my whole, my point isn't to like, see, you suck, <laughs> performance mentality. You know, that's not the point. The point is I want to help you to come out of it. We, we together? All right, so five signs you're living with a performance mentality. One If you believe that your performance, and this performance could be anything, it could be how how you work, how you do it, whatever your, you know, sports, your music, your just whatever you do, your school, when you believe that your performance determines your value and worth, you have a performance mentality. Two, when you live your life performing to get affirmation and acceptance. And so I just want to break this down. Like so many people, they're, they're so uncomfortable with who they are that what we see from them every day is actually a performance. You know? We used to call that, you know, the fronting, you know, or whatever. But I, I mean... I'm a pretty good, so authenticity is a big deal for me. Just what you see is what you get. Like if if I'm anything but what you see, I'm faking. And, And that, just my personality type, really, it doesn't play well inside of me. I feel conflicted if I'm presenting something that's not real about me. And so it's just internally, my makeup, I want to show you who I am. It's just, and if you don't like it, you don't like it, but at least we're clear on who I am, and you know it, and I know it, and if you don't like that, that's okay. But I'm, I'm not probably going to like try to make you like me by like acting a certain way that's not me, right? But uh, that's not every personality type. In fact, some personality types, it's so hard to be who you are. It's so hard to actually show the world who you are, and and so it's, it's like a hard thing in your personality. And then, like, in this generation, it's a challenge for so many because we're so performance-oriented that we are literally performing all the time just in how we live. It's exhausting. Uh, so, yeah, we live performing to receive affirmation and acceptance. Three, um, if our self-image, here you go, If our self-image is better when we perform better and worse when we perform worse, that's a performance mentality for sure, right? Like I think better about myself because I kicked butt, you know, or I screwed up and I suck. I just suck. It's just what it is. Everybody knows it. I suck. And we just think that way. Four. If other people's approval is the primary way we feel loved and accept, loved and accepted, that's a performance mentality. Because like what do you do when the crowds don't like you anymore? What are you left with? You see what I'm saying? So if, you're, if your whole judge if your whole manner of judging yourself is all based on how other people respond to me, like, man, that's a total performance mentality. I, um, I've been doing ministry a long time, like uh, full-time, my first full-time job started when I was 24. So I'm a lot older than that. <laughs> and so uh, more than half my life, I've been doing full-time ministry. And, um, and so uh, somewhere along the way, it, it became really clear to me that if I, if I was going to make it at all, I could not base, uh, like, how I felt by myself on how other people were responding to me. Because, man, you know, when people were responding awesome, it felt awesome. But when I got up and honestly just sucked and didn't preach well, then that would just put me in a tank, you know, and as a young man, that was like painful, super painful, and then, you know, that was not just, that wasn't like, you know, just, it was people acting fine about it, but me feeling like I didn't perform well, but then add this little component, that when I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, and then people didn't like it, and then just go ahead and add this to it, that my sphere grows a little bit, and all of a sudden, I've got like a little social media platform, and a little bit of you know, sphere and a little bit of followership, and then I put stuff out there, and then the next thing you know, they're hitting me on social media, and they're saying all sorts of crap about me. Like, the performance mentality, like, if that was governing me, I mean, I would have been taken out. I mean, Alicia could tell you, because she has to read all my my social media responses. I don't even read them anymore, because it's just, like, toxic sometimes. But it's like, she's like, oh, my gosh, do you want to see what they said? I go, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm quite good. God loves me. I'm good. You know, but, I mean, if I was being, like, led by other people and how they responded to me, I would have, man, I would never have made it. I would never have made it. I would have just tanked. So if other people's approval is the primary way we receive love and acceptance, what happens when they don't approve of you? That's a good sign you're operating in a performance mentality. Five, if when you fail, you're inconsolable. There's a difference between feeling bad about failure, like nobody likes to fail, like nobody's like, I sucked, yes! Like nobody's doing that. But there's a difference between feeling bad about it and being like, my world is ending. Do you you know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if when you fail, if you just feel like, man, the world is coming to an end because of that, that's a pretty good sign you got a performance mentality. Am I making sense, guys? Cool. So just to define it, I, I just like to always give definitions. Performance mentality is this. My identity and my worth are based on how well I perform and how people accept and affirm me. Like, if that hits you, my identity and my worth are based on how well I perform and how people accept and affirm me. That's, that's, it's very likely you're carrying this, carrying a, a performance mentality in an unhealthy way. And um, the, it, I came up with this phrase probably, gosh, it must have been like 20 years ago. But when you have a performance mentality, you live your whole life toiling for validity. You just work to prove that you're valid. You're trying to prove all the time, I'm worth existing. That's, that's what a performance mentality does. It just keeps you on this hamster wheel. You know, you're just continually running and running and running to try to prove that you're worth something. Somebody liked me. Somebody loved me. Somebody affirm me. See, look, I'm doing all this stuff. See, look, 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 look. Oh, finally somebody liked me. I mean, that's, that is that is just the thing in a nutshell. It's exhausting. It wears you out. Your internal world is always in traffic. And um, it's always got conflict. You're just carrying all this weight because you're constantly managing appearances. You're always processing how others perceived you. Right? I, I mean, I, I've just had this so many times over the years. I mean, because I mean, it's not because of me, but I'm, I happen to be a lot of times holding a mic and in front of people. And so in my world, my experience, a lot of people go, oh, man, I saw how you looked at me, man. Are you mad at me? And I'm like, bro, I just drank some garlic bread water. I didn't even know there was another human in the in the whole room at that moment. I'm so sorry. But I mean, like... And it's because, it's not because I looked at them badly, it's because something going on in there. Does that make sense? And there's sometimes people get, give people stink eye, and that's not just something going on in their heart, but, so, but you're, you're always processing how, other, how others perceive you, and, and then you're always working through the issues of your own failures. This is a performance mentality, gang. If I kind of got the thing clear for you guys. Well, here's the biggest problem with it. Besides all of that, like that sucks. Like everything I just said, is like, oh, that's terrible. That sounds horrifying. Yeah, it's horrible. But the biggest problem isn't even anything I've just said. The biggest problem is when you have a performance mentality, you take all of that traffic and you project it on God. And all of a sudden, you live your whole life trying to toil to prove yourself worth being loved. You, you, you're working all the time, performing, trying to show God, look, see, I can do it. And he's going like, I, I already love you. I liken it to this. Um, uh, all my kids all did the same thing. One of their gifts at an early age was crayons and paper, paints and paper, crayons, and paper, whatever. And then they draw the thing, right? It's who knows what the thing is. It's some stick figure with 18 eyes, horns coming out, four of them, who knows what those are. Look, Daddy, it's a picture of you. And I'm all like, wow, that is, I've never seen another one like it. It's going on the wall. And for every one of my kids through their whole journey in art, our bathroom walls got plastered with all their masterpieces. Not one of those masterpieces ever made me love them more. And so often when we're, when we've got a performance mentality about the, the way we think about God, it's like us doing these little baby drawings that are just like hilarious. All of our works are like these little baby drawings that are just silly. And God says, you're so cute. You are the cutest little thing ever. I'll put it on the wall. That doesn't make me love you anymore. But thank you. I don't have another one like this. <laughs> and so when we, when we project it on the Lord, man, we live so broken. We live so pained. Uh, we end up working and working and working. Our relationship with God, it, it turns into what I can do for God instead of what he's done for us. And all of a sudden, we just live our whole existence, our whole Christian existence, is literally keeping God at a distance because we are working so hard to prove ourselves as one worthy of his sacrifice, of the cross, of his love. And I I would say over years, 30 years of ministry, the vast majority of Christians I've ever met are in that category. And it becomes easier for them to do a good work for somebody than it is for them to even pray and talk to God. But Christianity isn't about primarily or firstly doing good works for other people. We should do good works for other people. Because Christianity is really about being close to Jesus, being close to him. Just, Just being close to him. And when our whole existence with God devolves into this, I will work for you, I will work for you, I will work for you, I feel like the Lord just goes, you are so cute. Those little paintings are so cute. It's not really what I want. I kind of want you. And, um, and so we believe that we've got to perform well to get the Lord's approval and his affirmation and his love. And, and we, instead of, you know, a lot of people go, I know God loves me. I know God loves me. I know God loves me. And I just go, no, you don't. There's not a chance you do. Because if you knew God loves you, it would rock you. It would rock you to your core. And so instead of saying, instead of really actually believing that God loves us, we kind of think God just tolerates us. We we think he loves us because he's obligated to love us. Because he's he's love after all. So he has to love us. So we kind of get this, when we're operating a performance mentality, we go, well, he has to love me. I mean, he's God, he got his love. He has to love me. And so I always would take that idea and just dial it into this. He doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. And that's something you've got to get right now. God doesn't just love you because he has to. He, like, legitimately likes you. He likes you. I remember one time I was doing this counseling, and honestly, I'm, I'm a, of myself, I'm a pretty crappy counselor, just being honest. So often people are like, hey, I really need to talk to you. I'm like, mm, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but unless the Lord gives me something really good to say to you, I may really say something terrible. It's just true. And so I try sometimes. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's really horrible. Anyway, so I had this person. they needed counseling. It was a really bad situation, like horrible. This is like 2005. Like we had just started the house of prayer. And uh, this person's like going through like a mess in their life. And so I was, like, in there trying to, like, lighten the mood, and, like, I made a couple jokes, and it just didn't go well. You ever done that? No? Me too. I know. I do it all the time, actually. But it didn't go well. And, uh, and so I'm going, oh, no. Like, not only did I not help that person, I may have made it worse. I'm trying to tell a joke. Like, terrible is this. Oh, gosh. And I go back, and I'm like sitting in the prayer room, and it's, I'm, like, I'm like looking at my computer, and I'm like, God, I am so sorry. And so I go, okay, I'm just going to check my email. And so I check my email, and, uh, and uh, what did you guys just do? Okay, 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 great. Good. Okay, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Checked my email. I check my email and I, um, I've got an email from a lady that was a part of our, our community at the time and I look at the time and she's, she sent it to me 20 minutes earlier when I was in that room telling terrible jokes, okay? And here's what the email says. She says, I'm in a moment of prayer right now and your face has come before me. I see your face and the Lord wants me to tell you something right now. And, and it says... God says he loves your jokes. True story. I was like, what? What? Hey, this is all right. God likes my, he thinks I'm funny. Yes, yes. And so like from that moment forward, I was like, oh, I can just tell all the jokes I want. You know, within a certain boundary. But I can tell all the jokes I want because God likes them. Awesome. And it it helped dig me out of this identity of if I don't do well, if I don't assess it as well, if they're not assessing it as well, as good, that may not even be what God thinks about it. And he thought it was so important to tell me in that moment that he loved my jokes Because he was trying to break me out of this. And this is when I realized he doesn't just love me because he has to. He likes me. God doesn't just love you because he has to. He, like, really likes you. He likes what you like. I remember one time, I'm going to have to tell my daughter. She's sitting in here. I'm sorry to tell a story on you, baby. But I remember one time my daughter was in her, she was in her bedroom. And, uh. She had her two animals, and I was in the hallway, so I'm way back, and, uh, and she's, she's about where the back row is, and, and sh- so I'm watching, and, and she's, in her, she's in there, she's got her two animals, she's like two years old, and she's got one animal, and it's just like having, they, they're having like a deep conversation, like the two animals are like really going deep, they're sharing hearts, it's like this deep, deep thing between these two, like an aardvark and a lamb or something, and, and I'm watching it, and I'm just smiling, I'm just enjoying it. And she doesn't even know I'm there, but I'm enjoying her so much as she's playing with these two animals. And then the Lord spoke to my heart and he goes, uh, What are you doing? And I go, I'm enjoying my daughter. And he goes, But she doesn't even know you're there. I, and I'm like, Yeah, I know, but she's just her. He goes, But she's not even talking to you. And I, I go, And I know she's just being herself. I just enjoy her. And he goes, and that's how I feel about you. And it was like, bang, I realized it's not about what I do for him. It's not about me always praying to him. I was loving her, watching her play with her little animals. And he loves me watching me be me. And he loves you, watching you be you, without regard to your performance. If you think God loves you because he has to, you don't know how he really feels about you. And if you don't think he likes you, but he loves you just because he's obligated, you don't know how he really feels about you. I love Ephesians 1. This is such a great passage. It talks about how according to the good pleasure of his will, he predestined us to adoption as sons, according to the good pleasure of his will. So to say that another way, it's God saying, when God was thinking about what would make him the happiest and please him the most, he thought of you. The good pleasure of his will. He predestined you to adoption as sons and daughters. Man, that thing is that, is, that is so incredible because here's what I think about. A thousand generations ago, God was dreaming about you and I. He was, and he wasn't thinking about what you can do. He was just thinking about who you are. And according to the good pleasure of his will, he predestined you to adoption. So he, God, and his sovereignty began to work together through a thousand generations of husbands and wives and babies and husbands and wives and babies and grandparents and children and babies and somehow, and then you came along and you were the good pleasure of his will. You were what he was thinking about all that time. See, he delighted in you before you ever did anything. I remember when my first son was born and, uh, I was, I had this whole plan. I was going to, because I was, before, before I got like the the intimacy message, um, I I was really just like fire and revival and fire and revival, and I still like fire and revival, but I got a little softer and more tender, but, so I had this plan that when he came out, I was just going to like prophesy, like I was just going to like. Give him the biggest, baddest, prophetic, brave heart word. He will be great and mighty in the sight of the Lord. Like I, was, I was just going to like ugh, flex all my charismatic juices in the delivery room. And uh, and I remember, man, my wife, oh, she's the champion baby maker. She, this is no pressure on any ladies, but my wife had four babies and didn't even take an aspirin. I mean, she is a, a baby-making machine from another mother-level heaven, something. Anyway, I mean, she just literally walks in there and just, I mean, baby. It's bad to the bone. It's a true story. Not exactly. But here's the thing. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I'm in, that, I'm in that mode. Here's the thing. So I'm going to prophesy over my son. And my wife has gone through the whole thing, and we're down to the last seconds, and she's pushing, and this baby's about to come out, and I'm all like, yeah. And 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 then I, I see him. And he's 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 amazing. And he's got hair. <laughs> and he, he you know, he's got eyes. And he's like got a face, and he's like, he's a person like he's a person and he's got fingers and he's wrinkly and he's he can barely even like hold himself together he's like jello with skin wrapped over it he's like all over the place and she pulls him out and 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 I'm just like so I'm just like oh oh my gosh and when he when he comes all the way out and they're 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 gooey and nasty so don't don't I'm I'm not faking like they come out nasty but when he comes out I get hit. I mean not like Holy Ghost hit, but like my heart gets moved so strong. And I'm like looking at him, and I'll never forget it. The midwife, she's like, (laughs) she's like, so what do you think, dad? And I'm like, this is like, this is supposed to be the moment. And I go, he's beautiful, (laughs) he's beautiful. And I start crying. like there was there was none of that it was like (laughs) i was just so messed up because i was so overwhelmed with love for him and it happened every single every single kid we had and they came out and i'm not even thinking i'm gonna cry but as soon as i see him bang i'm just overwhelmed with love and here's what i realized they didn't know me. They, didn't, they couldn't see me. They didn't know my name. They, didn't know, they couldn't do anything for me. There was nothing that they could possibly show me that they had any interest in me. But I was overwhelmed with love. And I remember the Lord speaking to me and being like, if you, who's a broken man, you feel like that about your kid, how do I feel about you? before they could ever do anything, before they could even hold their head up straight. And I'm overwhelmed in love. I mean, what if if the midwife had been like, so what do you think, dad? And I go, oh, I don't know. Let's see how he cuts the yard. Let's see how he, you know, makes grades. Let's see if he's an athlete. Let's see if he performs. Because if he doesn't, I may not like him. What if I said that? Every one of you guys is like, "Ooh, gross. Like, that's terrible. But we literally think that's how God is towards us when we're carrying a performance mentality. And so we just fall into this trap and we think, The better I perform, the more I'm loved. The worse I perform, the less I'm loved. And we think that our performance has something to do with God's acceptance of us. So what's the cure for this thing, man? I'm going to wrap this up. What's the cure for this? It's not a demon. If it were, we'd just cast it out of everybody and be done. It's a mentality that gets affirmed in all sorts of different ways. But it really comes down to what we believe. It really comes down to that. It's not anyone else's thing. It really boils down to what we believe. So, 1 John 4 16, it says this. This is a really important verse. It says, And we have known and believed. Everybody say, Known and believed. You guys sound so sad. It's just, don't have to be sad. Known and believed. So better. That's nice. We've known and believed what? The love that God has for us. I read that verse. I go, dang, John, you got something. Because he's like, we get it. That's what John the Apostle is saying. He goes, we've known it and we believed it. Here, watch this. Known experientially. It's literally experiential knowledge. Believe literally means accepted it. I've experienced it. And I've accepted it as true. And, and, and that's where this thing starts: experiencing the love of God, but then accepting the love of God. And most people get stuck between experiencing it and accepting it. They go, oh, I feel I felt something. I felt like the, the presence of the Lord was so sweet and tender and peaceful and whatever. And then, but the the next step of accepting it. Do you accept that God loves you even if you suck? Do you accept that? Do you accept that He loves you even before you do anything? Do you accept that He loves you even if you fail? Do you accept that? Because that's where this thing is. If we don't accept it, we'll stay stuck in this performance thing. And so here's what happens. Either we do accept it or we don't accept it. And when we don't accept it, oftentimes we're saying, you know what? You just don't know me. You don't know how screwed up I am. You don't know how much of a failure I am. You don't know my history. You don't know my current. You don't know my situation. You don't know how jacked up I am. So I just don't believe that God could love me like that. And here's what I do know about this. That if you're saying God couldn't love you, you're not making me a liar. You're saying God's a liar. Track with me now. If you're saying God can't love you because you suck in all these different ways, then you're literally saying, I don't believe you, God. I don't accept what you're saying. And that right there ends up being so often like the foundational issue, like, I just say no to the the love of God. I mean, that's literally where it has to land for us. And it's literally pride in reverse. So we often think of pride of being like, I'm so awesome. I'm the man. I'm this and that. And pride, pride, pride. But pride doesn't only work like I'm so awesome. It also works with I'm so terrible. I suck so bad. No one could love me like this. Not even God. And it's pride in reverse that says, I'm not worth being loved. I'm not worth the cross. I'm not worth the way God says he feels about me. And so when that's going on, and if that sounds like you, then we got to repent of that. We literally just got to say, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I'm telling you that what you're saying isn't true. I'm sorry. I repent. I repent. And I want to accept and know your love. Song of Solomon 5 i I'm landing, guys. Just hang in there with me for one more minute. Now it's really about five to seven more minutes. But just hang in here. Song of Solomon five. It's a huge one. I am dark but lovely. I am dark but lovely. This is the 101 of knowing love. This is the beginning of understanding love. And it just means this. I am dark but lovely means... That she, in the story of Song of Solomon, she's this maiden, and she's burned herself out. She's worked for everybody else, but she hasn't taken care of herself. And she's saying, I've been burned. I've been out in the heat, and I've been burned by the sun, and, and, and I'm, just this, I'm just this poverty-stricken little girl. I'm dark. I've got issues. I know my weaknesses, and I know my failures. But she has this other truth about herself, that even though she's weak, and even though she's failed, she goes, He says, I'm beautiful. That even though I'm broken on all these levels, he says, I am beautiful. I am desirable. That's the 101. See, I I remember when I first started getting this message, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's awesome. God loves me in my weakness. Oh, that's awesome. God loves me in my failings. That's awesome. And then I failed. And I had to be faced with, do I believe this when I'm failing? Because dark but lovely doesn't matter when everything's going awesome. It only starts working. It only really kicks in when you're failing. So I'll give you an example. I was uh, living in Kansas City, and I was uh, Mike Bickle's airport run guy. I always took him to, to the airport and picked him back up. And Mark, Mark, Mike Bickle is like the Song of Solomon guru. And uh, so I'm driving to the airport to pick up Mike Bickle, and I get a speeding ticket. And I just start feeling so bad. You know that feeling when the the police are behind you and you're just you're freaking out and your heart racing. You're like, Oh gosh, oh gosh, what's about to happen? And then you're like, Oh. And I'm pulling over and I'm like, "Oh, Oh no, oh no. And 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 he gives me a speeding ticket. And I'm like, There's a special place for losers that get a speeding ticket when you're picking up Mike Bickle from the airport. Like there's just a, there's a special like beatdown for people like me, you know. I'm like I'm such a loser, and oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and I just have to like try to, like shake it off, and I'm feeling terrible, and pick up Mike, and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the next hour and a half with him because we ha- we pick him up and hang out and talk, and I'm like Ugh, I gotta get myself together, like you know, feeling dark but dark, you know, not no lovely, no lovely. And uh we hang out, and it's great, and Mike's awesome and 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 so I drop him off and he, and he goes, "Hey, he goes uh he goes, "I don't know what he said." He asked me something, and I go, "You know, dude, I, I got a speeding ticket today." He goes, "What?" I go, "Yeah, I got one trying to pick you up in the airport, oh center like I'm trying to like, confess it to him like uh. he goes." Hey, you got a speeding ticket? On picking me up from the airport, huh? Reaches in his pocket, pulls out a hundred, and goes, "Here you go, man. I cover it for you. No big deal." I thought, "I am dark, but dark. I don't deserve a hundred dollars. I performed poorly, and it was like this is how God looks at you when you perform poorly." He gives you the 100 to pay for the speeding ticket. He's there to meet you in your weakness. He's there to affirm you and take care of you and love you. and, And tell you you're awesome, even when you sucked. Guys, this is the beginning of understanding love, and this is how we step out of a performance mentality. You know, the first week that I was with you guys, we talked about getting ourselves out of the center and getting Jesus in the center. And then last week, we talked about fighting for one another and praying for one another. But none of that really matters if we don't accept the love that God has for us. If we don't know and believe the love of God, we end up just toiling for validity and working to prove ourselves instead of believing that we're loved, like really accepted and affirmed without regard to our performance. I want to preach so much better for y'all, but I can only do what I got. You, this is all you get. You get a 50-plus-year-old dude that's five foot seven and three quarters. My wife won't let me say five foot eight publicly because she thinks I'm lying. Doing my very best to communicate, God really loves you. And God has to do something with that. Like, I I can't make it happen for you. I want to do better. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm going to go home and I'm going to put my head on my pillow. And I'm going to, as I do every night, I'm going to doze off telling Jesus I love him. And he's going to say it back to me. Whether I dropped bombs tonight or told stories about my wife having babies. You know, it's like, it's just how it is. And that's how it is for you too. A's or F's, he loves you the same. Ten dollars an hour or a hundred thousand a year, he loves you the same. Seriously, two seventy-five or three fifteen, <laughs> he loves you the same, bro. He still loves you. It's all good. It's all good. It's just too easy. Sorry. Whether you whether you nailed it in worship or didn't. He loves you the same. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I don't bench 315. Fine. (laughs) He loves me the same. Knowing and believing the love that God has for us and accepting the fact that he loves you when you do badly, When you fail, when you make a bad choice, watch this, when you sin, that one was always hard for me. Oh, you still love me when I sin? Of course he does. He doesn't like put his love in reverse because you sinned. I remember, last story, I remember one time I was driving in a car and I, um, I don't. I can't confirm or deny whether or not I actually said a cuss word. But somebody cut me off, and I had at least a cuss word attitude. Let's just say that. I cannot confirm or deny whether I actually said it, but I had a cuss word attitude, and um. And I remember feeling bad about it. Like, dang, I'm just. Gosh, I'm not. I'm not holy. I suck. Like, I don't wanna cuss people out that cut me off in the car. Like, I wanna bless them. I don't wanna I wanna I wanna be good in heart. I don't wanna be like that. And um, and the Lord reminded me the day before I was in worship and I was like worshiping the Lord, like tears streaming down my face, like, oh, I love you so much, and oh you love me too, oh my God. And then one day later, I'm like, bah! you know, and And he reminded me, he goes, hey, do you think when I was ministering my love to you in worship the day before that I didn't see this coming? I'm like, no, you had to have seen it coming because you're God. He goes, that's right. And I love you right now when when you're doing that just as much as I did the day before. Now, I don't love the, but... I love you the same. It's not like he throws it into reverse on us. He still loves us. Guys, this is what we've got to drink of is the love of God, okay? This is where identity's got to get like stabilized is knowing and accepting the love that God has for us. And Then we quit working to get it. I, I, I said this to one of y'all last week, but this is how so many Christians live. They live working to get in a room that they're already in. It's called being accepted in the beloved. You're accepted in the beloved. You don't have to work to get in that room. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl.